Let's pray and get started tonight so we can take advantage of our hour that we have together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word brings correction. We thank you that your word is meant to grow us up, Father. Tonight, Father, we choose to see, hear, and understand. Father, we choose to be converted. Tonight, Father, we choose to meditate on your word so that we can observe to do accordingly. Father, we won't just be hearers, but we will also be doers of your word. Father, we understand that anything you say in your word, we can see. Anything you said we could do, we could do. We will not doubt you, Father. We will stagger not at your premises through unbelief, Father, but we remain steadfast, undaunted by anything that we see, Father. And we declare that because we live disciplined lives, we always see the provision you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys know last week, man, we talked about uh, the power of di discipline. We talked about the Esau syndrome. And you remember on the Esau syndrome, uh, it was about Esau, and you can go read about that in Genesis, but I wanted to read Hebrews 12, 16, and 17. We're just going to jump into it tonight. I know some of you guys, if you're in Arkansas, you're on spring break, you may be on the beach, you may be chilling at home, and so we got to get the word in, but we're going to do it expeditiously. All right. So Hebrews 12, 16 and 17 says, watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short term appetite. Go ahead and say that. Say, I'm not satisfied by my short term appetite. I seek God. I'm not satisfied by my short term appetite, but I seek God. You can't be willing to sacrifice your lifelong gift God has given us because we're so we want immediate gratification of our flesh, right? In verse uh, 17, it says, You will know Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was what? Too late. There are going to be things that God put in front of you. There's going to be opportunities. There's going to be doors that open for you that the only way you get them if you Choose not to cave in and quit because you're going to learn later that quitting is a way of instant gratification. And so we got to learn to remain steadfast. We got to learn to remain undaunted. That means that I don't cave in in the midst of adversity. I don't quit. I don't I don't run away in fear. I don't tuck my tail and run. Why? Because I'm undaunted. Why? Because in John 16 and 33, it says, hey, look, I know you live in the world and I know these troubles, you're going to have troubles while you live in this world. He says, but be of good cheer. I've already overcome the world. That's why we can stand undaunted. Why? Because God has already overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. The Holy Spirit living on the inside of us gives us the ability to overcome the world. Go ahead and type that. Say, I'm a world overcomer. I'm a world overcomer. So no problem that I face will be able to uh, subdue me. Why? Because I'm a world overcomer. So we must not allow our short-term appetites to destroy our destiny. For some who choose to satisfy your flesh today, you will forfeit your tomorrow. So we refuse to have the Esau syndrome. We refuse to surrender to the gratification of our flesh, but we commit to God. We choose to obey God. We choose self-discipline. We choose self-control. Why? Because we want that lifelong gift that God has for us. When he says, I know the plans for you, the plans are prosper and give you an expected end. That's what we want, but we don't get that when we do not exercise self-discipline. 
All right. So what is self-discipline? Good question. It's the correction or regulation of oneself for the sake of improvement. So when we're talking about the power of discipline, we're talking about being able to correct ourselves through the regulation of our oneself for sake of improvement. Discipline is about making us holy. We talked about that in part one. Discipline is about making us into the righteousness of, I mean, making us experience the righteousness of God. We talked about that in part one. So when we're talking about living a disciplined life, we understand that discipline is needed to be a follower of Christ. You know what else it talks about? Self-control. What's self-control? Because we're going to interchange those words a little bit. Restraint exercise over one's own impulses, emotions, and desires. The Bible tells us that we're drawn away by what? Y'all Bible scholars. The lust of our own heart. So that's why we must have self-control. That's why we must have discipline so that we are not drawn away by our lust of our own heart, by our own impulses, our own emotions, and our own desires. We must be committed to God. We must stand firm in what we know to be true about what God has called us to do. All right? So as we get in tonight, we're going to talk about overcoming self. But I want you to understand this. You ain't in this by yourself. You don't got to have self-control by yourself. You don't got to have discipline by yourself. I want to show you tonight that discipline comes from God. Say that with me. Discipline comes from God. Ralph, where are you getting this from? Good, good question. 2 Timothy 1 and 7. For the spirit of God, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, shy, but gives us what? Power. What power does it give? That dudamus. It gives us the ability. I love the way Pastor Dallas says it. He says uh, uh, the Holy Spirit gives us God, God's ability on top of our ability, giving us the ability to do what we couldn't do before. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It puts God's ability on top of our ability to give us the supernatural ability to do what we couldn't do before. So when I am walking out discipline, I have to understand that I need to access Holy Spirit in order for me to walk it out. Self-control can't be something that you force your own self to do because you'll be consistent for a while, but baby, it'll be something that comes along that your heart lusts for. And if you're not operating by the spirit, your flesh will grow weak. It will grow weary. So that's why we got to understand that self-discipline comes from God. The rest of that verse says, but it gives us power, love, and what? Self-discipline. The spirit has given me self-discipline. The question is, are you going to employ it or not? Are you going to employ self-discipline? It says the Holy Spirit is your key to living a disciplined life. Discipline is not something you will consistently accomplish on your own. It isn't possible to walk out discipline every day, all day in your flesh. All right. But that's what we've been called to do. And the way that we accomplish that is through the Spirit. All right. Galatians 5 and 22. It tells you the same thing, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Once again, Holy Spirit gives me the ability to operate in discipline. Holy Spirit gives me the ability to operate in self-control. It is not anything I got to do through my own flesh. While I take a drink, drink, go ahead and do that. I rely on Holy Spirit for discipline. 
I rely on Holy Spirit to walk out discipline. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor Raph, you don't know the temptations I've been through. Pastor Raph, you don't know the obstacles I face. Pastor Raph, you, you were, as a teenager, you, you grew up in a different stage. You don't understand all the things that we see. You know what? I don't. But this is what I do know. Nothing is impossible, shall be impossible with God. So it doesn't matter what you face in your life. It doesn't matter the temptation. It doesn't matter the obstacle. It doesn't matter the situation, the circumstance. It doesn't matter the doctor's report. You have the ability through God to overcome anything. And it, it reinforces that in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. See, the enemy wants you to think that your situation is so unique, that nobody's ever gone through what you've gone through. He wants you to think that, woe is me. But baby, that's just not the truth. It says in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, no temptation has overtaken you and laid hold on you. That is what? Not coming to man. So you're not experiencing anything that Jesus didn't experience on the cross and overcome. Yeah, Jesus had to give up the cake. Jesus had to give up moving to the city. Jesus had to give up the boo. Jesus had to give up uh, fornication. Jesus had to give up the wine. Jesus had to give up fill in the blank. Why? Because when he lay, when he stood there on the cross, hanging on the cross, there he took on everything that we could possibly experience so that we may have breakthrough and the ability to overcome it. So there is not anything, there is not an obstacle or situation that's not coming to man. The rest of that verse says this, but God is faithful. Hallelujah. He is faithful and he can be trusted not to let you be tempted and tried and to save beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way out that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. So I hear people talk all the time, well, well the Lord must... Think I'm stronger than I am, baby. He's talking about the spirit at work on the inside of you. He says, but with the temptation, he will always also provide the way out that you may be capable. The ability on top of your ability. That's the Holy Spirit. And strong. The ability on top of your ability. That's the Holy Spirit. And powerful. Powerful. The ability on top of your ability. That's the Holy Spirit. Run over to Ephesians 3 and 20. I'm going to read it to you. Now to him who by in consequence of the actions of his power that is at work within us is able to carry out his purpose, right? And do super abundantly, far over and above all that we could dare ask or think according to the power that works in us, right? So when Jesus is talking about our ability to overcome temptation, our ability that no, no obstacle of nothing's overtaking you that's coming to man. And he won't ever put anything more on you than you, you're able to bear because it's not our job to bear it. It's his job to bear it. So I never have to bear the weight because I rely on the Holy Spirit to do that on my behalf. And so I give it all to God. Say that tonight. I give it all to God. God, I give you, I surrender the food, my stomach, God. I surrender that to you. My, the addiction to X, I surrender it to you, Father. 
I let it go because I understand that you have given me Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit is your super on top of my natural, giving me the supernatural ability to do what I can do on my own. Hallelujah. It isn't that God isn't capable, though. God is capable, but that you aren't willing all the time. God is capable, but the question is, are you willing to let it go? Because God will not take from you anything you want, you're unwilling to surrender. Selah. He will not take from you what you are unwilling to surrender. Even eternal life requires your surrenderance. It requires you confessing with your mouth. It requires you believing in your heart. It requires you accepting him as Lord. It requires your surrender. So though God, so though Jesus died so that you may have life and life more abundantly, so that he died so you may have eternal life, he won't take hell, you out of hell unless you surrender. So a lot of times you can't walk in discipline simply because you have not surrendered. God can't take what you're not willing to surrender. All right. So self-discipline comes from God. The second thing. Self-discipline isn't developed overnight, but it's strengthened over time. I encourage you to go listen to the Ed talk from, I think, two weeks ago. Pastor Edwin talks about discipline. All right. So in 2 Peter 2 and 3, uh, it says self-discipline. This is the point number two. Self-discipline isn't developed overnight, but it's strengthened over time. 2 Peter 1 and 3 says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Where does this, where does this power come from? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. What? Through our knowledge of him. Uh, Pat, uh, Brother Valley, Reverend Valley, Elder Valley, teaches this message called, uh, I am saved being saved, will be saved. And we understand that ourselves, we, we have eternal life, and, but we're walking out our salvation here on earth. Our soul is being renewed. And so what this is saying, as your mind, will, and emotions, imagination, and intellect, as they encounter the word of God and come through our, and our knowledge increases about God, then his divine power in us also increases. That's why you can't beat yourself up if you make a mistake. The next best time to change is to uh, the next moment. The next, the next best time to change is now. So I don't beat myself up. I give myself some grace, but that doesn't mean I just don't, I quit on the thing that God called me to do, but I understand that I'm growing and becoming. I am being saved. I am being refined. I am the holiness and the righteousness of God and that my life will manifest that more and more as I become, as I come more thorough in the knowledge of God so that his divine power is able to exude through me, able to operate in me so that I may look more like him. All right. So it will be our knowledge and our understanding of God that enables us to live a disciplined life. Some of us are constrained by the knowledge of our earthly laws. See, some of you don't do stuff because the law constrains you. It limits your options. See, some of you are constrained, constrained by your employer. So because you know that you really don't like your boss and you really want to slap them in the face, but you need that check and it constrains your actions, right? It You didn't want to get up this morning, but you kept driving into work. 
you wanted to quit, but you kept driving because you needed to be employed. So when you the need to be employed cut off the decision to stay at home. The need to be employed cut off the decision to slap your boss, right? So you have something governing over you. Some of you are constrained by the court. You may be on parole or probation. But for the believer, we should be constrained by the word. Say, the word is my fence. The word is my guard. The word is my keeper. It constrains me. It cuts off other decisions, options. So when I live under the word of God, when I live a disciplined life, what the power of discipline does when I operate in the knowledge of God and his word, it cuts off, it should cut off decisions. That's why the Bible says the word is sharper than a two-edged word, two-edged sword, right? Dividing of the asunder. It's cutting away things that shouldn't be there. So that's why as a believer, um, Gluttony shouldn't be something I do. As a believer, sin, sin just means missing the mark, shouldn't be something I do. I should cut away every, I should allow the word of God to cut away every decision that doesn't line up with his word, all right? And so that's why the Lord tells us all the time in Joshua 1 and 8, he says, look, meditate on the word. Why? Because through meditation on the word, your, your knowledge of me will be strengthened. As your knowledge of me is strengthened, the power that's able to operate in you is strengthened. Therefore, the full weight of my super will be able to operate on top of your natural, giving you the supernatural ability to do what you were not able to do prior to. And so we got to spend time. That's why Joshua 1.8 says, when you meditate on the word both day and night to observe Okay, not just hear, but do, not just hear, but do. Tell your neighbor, we can't just hear, but we have to do. Then you can be sure that to obey what's written in therein. If you do this, the Lord says, if you do this, if you meditate on word, if you hear and you do it, you will be wise and successful in some things you do. Now, that ain't what it says. Everything you do. Now, that ain't what it says. Yeah, I mean, sorry. Everything you do is what it says. I was reading the screen. It does. And everything you do. So if you're wondering, man, if God made that premise, why am I still struggling? Why am I still having an issue being with self-control? And I'm glad you asked that question. That's what we're talking about next. Number one reason, not number one in the sense of what happens most, but number one on my list is one of the, the first reasons we're going to talk about tonight is that you crave consistency. You craving consistency. Consistency, you got to understand, consistency impedes discipline. It hinders discipline because it stops you from taking uncomfortable steps that disrupt consistency but trigger improvement and success. Let me say that one more time. I should have put that on the screen for y'all. I'm sorry. But when you are, what consistency does, consistency interferes with discipline because it stops you from taking uncomfortable steps. And when you don't take uncomfortable steps that disrupt your consistency, it will prevent you from triggering the acts that cause improvement and success. So I can't, the craving for consistency interferes with discipline. So I got to be willing to become comfortable being uncomfortable. I got to be willing to take the steps. And so 
human fear loss and failure and desire. Humans fear loss, failure and desire comfort. So naturally, all of us don't want to fail. Nobody wants to lose anything and everybody wants to be comfortable. That's natural. But if we always live, if we live a life of fear of losing, fear of failure and, and, and desiring comfort, then we'll never be able to walk out discipline because discipline requires you being uncomfortable. Discipline requires you disrupting consistency in order to walk it out. And so a question I have was why do humans crave consistency? Why do humans crave consistency? Number one reason humans crave consistency is something called the loss aversion theory. That's L-O-S-S and then aversion, A-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. And so it's a theory. And I'm going to sum it up for you because this isn't a psychology lesson tonight. But this is what it says. We are afraid that change or moving to something new will cause us to lose something valuable that we currently have. And what you got to understand is this. Loss is loss. As human beings, it, we are wired that even losing something bad is something that we have an aversion to because it's still a loss. I know it's crazy, but you think about how many people stay in relationships because they have already invested time in them. They're like, I can't lose this because I've already invested this time. I've already invested this energy. I've already invested this money. I've already invested what, whatever it is you invested. And so you feel like, you can't give it up. And so the, the aversion to lose something valuable or invaluable, because to lose something invaluable still throws you out of comfort zone because most people are comfortable with the pain they've learned to manage. And I, I know how to manage this pain and I'd rather stick with the consistency of managing this pain than going to do something new because of fear to go in to do something new that may bring me out of it. So I don't want to lose it. And so that's reason number one. Reason number two, fear of regret. Fear of regret. We're afraid of the failure and regret that change might trigger. Ooh, what, what, what if I fail at it? What if it doesn't do good? And then you're like, I'm going to regret this. And so before you realize it, you let fear, the fear of regret cause you to stay in a situation that you know you need to be out of. But you got to make the choice that I won't crave consistency. I'll be willing to make the uncomfortable, willing to be uncomfortable. I'll be willing to, to lose something in order to gain what God has for me. I'll be willing to overcome my fear of regret, my fear of failure in order to gain what God has for me. And then reason number three, exposure. Why humans crave consistent? Because of exposure. The longer we experience something, and in this case, our current situation, the more comfortable and enjoyable it becomes. That's why people can stay in poor situations and justify why they stay. Because of exposure and experiencing something so long, their pain has become comfortable. And they know it, and it's familiar. And so instead of being disciplined enough to stop eating and, and lose the weight, instead of being disciplined enough to stop looking at whatever you're looking at, instead of being disciplined enough to sit down and apply for new jobs to find something new, 
you stick with what you've known because of exposure. And so what we got to be willing to do is just say, you know what? I'm exposing myself to something new. Go ahead and say that. I'm exposing myself something new. All right. And so I want for each one of these, I want to give you a quick fix. So what's the quick fix to overcome craving consistency? List pros and cons on a sheet. Think about, all right, list your pros and cons on a sheet. I want to lose weight. What's the pros and the cons of losing weight? Wait 24 hours, come back and pick the one that's most advantageous to you. Then once you do that, write out a plan on how to accomplish it. And don't let the thought of planning and working toward the goal stop you from ever pursuing the goal. Still pursue the goal. So how do I over, how do I overcome that craving for consistency? I put myself in uncomfortable situations on purpose. I expose myself to things that are new. I make a list of pros and cons. If I lose this, what's the pros and what's the cons? If you're in a bad relationship, if you if you get out of that relationship, what's the pros, what's the cons? If the doctor told you you had high blood pressure and you need to stop eating pork and salty foods, what's the pros and what's the cons? And you need to list, look at that and then you need to help some, we'll get to it in a second, but help somebody, let somebody hold you accountable, all right? So it's number two, reasons people, uh, reason people uh, struggle with self-discipline, overestimating your own ability. Man, you, listen, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. How many times have you got yourself in a situation because you thought you were stronger than you were? I know you went on that date and you just thought that you had the will to say no. And before you know it, I mean, you were in places and situations you didn't want to be in. I know you went to your favorite restaurant and you said, I just won't get that dessert this time. You know what? I ain't going to get the molten cake with caramel and hot fudge on it. You know, I ain't gonna act, I ain't gonna ask for the cream brulee this time. You know what? I ain't gonna get the cheesecake this time. You in Cheesecake Factory, and you like uh, they get that's your favorite restaurant, and your favorite thing at the restaurant is cheesecake. And so you like, oh, I just don't ask for it. But as you walk in, you are overwhelmed. Your sensory, your soul, man, is overwhelmed with the very thing. You said that you were going to deny. Why? Because you overestimated your own ability. In, in psychology, this is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Effect. People who have a low ability in a skill are more likely to overestimate their ability in that skill. You, you as a Bible say, you think more highly of yourself than you are, and you rely on yourself and not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit would have told you that one of the steps of walking a disciplined life is make making the right decision easy. How do I make making how do I make making the right decision easily? I don't put myself in situations to be tempted. I don't go to I don't answer the phone call. I don't go to the restaurant. I don't buy the food I know I don't supposed to eat. Those are all easy ways to make making the right decision easier. So it's really hard to eat pork if I don't got pork in my house. It's really it's, it's really hard to eat salty foods if I don't buy salty foods. I make making the right decisions convenient. I have turkey, I have ground beef, or I have chicken, or I have uh, uh, low sodium peanuts, or whatever it is. 
make making the right decision easy. Don't think more highly of yourself than you should, because when you overestimate your personal personal abilities, you often find yourself in situations where you succumb because you're just not strong as you think you are. It says when one feels overly confident, less likely to practice a new, less likely to, this is what you need to do. Practice a new skill. Practice a new skill. When one feels overly confident, you're less likely to practice a new skill. Practice. Who needs to practice? Why? Because I got this. You ain't rehearsing in your mind. If this temptation occurs, how will I say no to it? If, if I go this way and I see the thing that I want, how will I avoid it? You got to practice that new skill. But when you're overly confident, you don't do that. You don't seek new information. Oh, I know everything I need to know about this. I don't need to know anything else about dieting. I mean, uh, weight loss. I don't know any. I don't need to know anything else about high blood pressure. I don't know anything else about diabetes. I don't know. I don't need to know anything else about the word. Talk about me. I'm healed. Why? You're overly confident. And what happens is you also fail to ask for help with implementation because you're overconfident. The easiest, the best thing you could do, uh, and one of the things that we need to do when we're in faith. I mean. Righteous, I mean, gosh, I started going through them in my head. You got to have a role model. But when you are overly confident, you don't think you need one. And so that's another reason people find themselves hard. It finds it hard to exemplify self-discipline when you think more highly of yourself. All right. So here's the quick fix for self-discipline. Ask other people for feedback, especially those who are disciplined in the area you are seeking discipline. And so if I know I'm seeking discipline in an area, I need to be able to find a role model who has walked that out and ask them about it. So they could talk to me about my abilities. They could talk to me about maybe some unknown, unknown things or unseen things, things I see don't see about myself that they see that I need to correct. But I can't be a person who overestimates my ability because when I do that, I'm not going to be able to walk in self-discipline because I'm going to find my pride going before me. And when the pride goes before you, we understand that we do what? We fall. All right. Number three, what's the third thing that causes us to um, struggle with self-discipline? All right. Procrastination. All right. We could preach a whole word on this. But for the sake of time, we won't. All right. We're going to go over two main forms of procrastination tonight. All right. And I know I know y'all on spring break, but y'all, if you're in Arkansas, but just bear with me. We are almost there. All right. Two main forms of procrastination. Putting things off in order to receive instant gratification. This is one of the main reasons people procrastinate. You put things off in order to receive instant gratification. If you go back to listen to the Ed talk, Pastor Edwin tells us, all right, do the hard things first. But see, it takes discipline to do the hard things first because what instant gratification wants, let me do this easy stuff first. So you'll do all the easy stuff, but then, oh, Lord, I'm tired. Oh, I'm out of time. Oh, man, this comes up or that comes up. And the very thing you needed to do you didn't do because you sought out instant gratification. And so once again, your flesh ain't in check. Your, your, your soul, man, is running your life. Why? Because you got to come into the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that that power may work in you, right? It can work more in you, all right? And so we got to understand that putting things off 
is a way that of uh, instantly gratifying our flesh. And the, the flesh likes to be gratified. The flesh likes to be pleased. And so every time I put something off, my, my flesh feels like it's getting a reward. And before you realize it, you could build a system of procrastination because every time you have something hard to do, you quit the hard thing, you do the easy thing, your body is happy, you release the hormones, you're feeling good. And what's happening is you're building this, this cycle of quit. And so, and it's causing procrastination. All right. Number, the other, second thing, the procrastination, uh, more time planning work than you're doing the work. The other thing, you spend more time planning the work than doing the work. Tell your neighbor this, say, I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to act on what I planned. You don't got to have the perfect plans. You don't got to have a hundred percent assurance that it's going to work. Now, if God told you to do it. That is your insurance assurance. But typically what, uh, what research tells us when you're trying to break this procrastination rule, uh, stop planning once you're 70% sure that it'll work. That's when you proceed. That's your quick fix. When you're about 70% sure to work, according to research, that's when you need to proceed. That's how you can stop this thing of procrastination. All right. And understand you got to do the work. There's no way around it. Proverbs 14.23 says this, all hard work brings a what? A profit. But mere talk leads only to what? Poverty. So you're not broke because the promise is not true. You're not broke because you're not blessed. You're not broke because God has not provided. You may be broke in an area. When I say broke, I'm not just talk. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about broke relationships, broke health, broke uh, careers, broke uh, mindsets. Because we're not. Because talk leads to poverty, and so we got to be willing to put in the effort. Right? Uh, it's been times in my life. I, I talk to my therapist more than I do. Uh, other times, right? Because I can't be talking about, I can't be like, oh man, having feelings of anxiety or having feelings of depression or just needing some clarity and talk about, oh man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do something different. Oh, no, you got to, you got to put in the work. And sometimes putting in the work is finding that role model. Sometimes putting in the work is calling a therapist. Sometimes putting in the work is apologizing to your spouse, going for a walk, Tearing up the credit cards, all right. Deleting the phone number, blocking the number, uh, uh, deleting apps from your phone. That's all work. But if you don't put in the work, then you're going to remain poor in those areas. All right. Luke 12 says, "Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning." I don't got time tonight to go through this story, but he was talking to the ladies that was supposed to be prepared, and they had their oil and their lamps. He says, "Be dressed and ready." Why? Because I told you last week, there will be opportunities that the Lord provide for us and we need to be dressed and ready. Ask your neighbor. No, ask yourself. Am I dressed and ready for service? Is my lamp burning? Am I prepared to walk through the door that God is? Let me rephrase. The, the, the prophecy says gates. I got my prophecy right here. The prophecy says I have opened up gates and release supernatural power for you. So are you dressed and ready to walk through the gate? Or will the gate be open and you over there in la-la land because you ain't disciplined? You ain't walked out. You ain't renewed your mind. You ain't meditated on the word. You ain't trusted God. I got my I got my action verbs highlighted. 
Well, you ain't held on to what you've heard this past year. You ain't prepared yourself. You haven't partnered with God. You have forgotten things. You ain't letting them walk with you. So the question is, are you dressed and ready? Because he's already done it. The gate is open. The supernatural ability has been poured out. But are you dressed and ready? And if you're procrastinating due to a lack of self-discipline, then the gate will remain open. You just won't walk through it. Similar to some of the children of Israel, they just didn't get to see the promised land. Why? Because they weren't disciplined. They complained. They murmured. Because those are all the things that your flesh is going to do. Why? Because it wants to be gratified. It wants to be taken care of. All right? So I gave you one of the quick fixes for procrastination. Stop planning and start doing 70% sure, go for it. If God gave you a word, that's 100%. Go for it. The other quick fix is this. Get started on the task immediately after deciding to do it and then schedule breaks instead of taking breaks. You heard me. Schedule those breaks instead of taking breaks when you feel like it. So I'm going to work two hours and take a break. And, be, and don't take a break before then. Tell your flesh you're going to stick in here and you're going to work. Schedule those breaks and quit taking breaks when you feel like it because you're throwing off a routine. All right. You're throwing off the routine. All right. You got to understand that success has never come simply by talking about it. Nobody that's successful is successful today because they simply talked about it. All right. Number four, you got to set, you set unrealistic goals. Why are we struggling with self-discipline? You're setting unrealistic goals. Baby, we got to count up the cost. Your expectations and the work and time needed to achieve them must match. Once again, this is why you go to a role model, right? If you go where ask a trainer, we, we're used to these lose weight quick plans. You, we hear some, ooh, you can go do the Daniel fast or lemon diet or the vinegar diet or, or fast 18 hours and eat six hours. And you can lose 10 pounds in two weeks. If you go talk to anybody who's a nutritionist or, or a fitness person, they'll tell you the weight that you lose, that's not weight that's going to be sustained. It's going to be a quick result, but it's, not, it's going to come right back because you ain't built new habits, number one. It's going to come right back because it's water and the salt intake and all those things. And so you're get, trying to get a quick result because you didn't count up the cost. When you talk to, when you count up the cost, you understand that the body losing about a pound a week is really nice. I mean, that's really nice. So when you set this realistic goal, right, uh, of saying, you know what? I expect to lose 10 pounds over the next six to eight weeks. And then your work ethic matches. That's why when you go to the gym, you come home and you ain't lost weight. Oh, I quit. I don't mean seven days. I quit. Your expectation for change was not realistic. You didn't count up the cost. And so, so many times we jump into things without counting up the cost. And because of that, we end up quitting in the middle and it's difficult to employ self-control or self-discipline when you don't count up the cost. Giving up is a temptation. You got to understand, giving up is a temptation. And when we succumb to it, it provides instant gratification. Here's the cycle that you end up going in. The gratification received by quitting comes in the form of a relief. Whew. Like, I mean, how many of you guys have ever quit something you felt relieved? Ooh, this monkey's off my back. You just quit the thing you needed to do, but you felt relieved. 
This relief becomes something you begin to seek after in tough times. Y'all hear what I'm saying? This relief becomes something you begin to seek after in tough times. Therefore, you weaken your self-discipline and your ability to persevere because your body has grown accustomed to, you have created a habit of quitting. And it's not the quitting that you're really wanting to do. Your body is really wanting to have relief when it experiences adversity. You have, you have, you have, you have grown to become, this is not a word, anti-undaunted. So anytime that adversity shows up, you seek relief and you reinforce that relief because you're happy and your body likes, I like being happy. How do I become happy more often? And so before you realize that you have trained yourself to quit when it gets tough. And so the thing, the quick fix to that is that it ain't a quick fix. What you got to do is be able to persevere. What you got to be able to do is be steadfast. What you got to be able to do is be unmovable. What you got to be able to do is get comfortable being uncomfortable. You got to begin to put yourself in situations that you're uncomfortable in to begin to train yourself to say that it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to, for me to dance. You know, I don't, I just, I don't like it. I don't like the way my body feels when I'm dancing and my arms and legs are moving around. And I don't like what I think that I think people are thinking about me when I dance. You know, you got all these self, these things, right? And it's adversity for me. But what you got to do, I danced at somebody's wedding. Now, and I was like, wow, I did. And I was like, I didn't die. People didn't talk about me. At least I don't know about it. They probably did. But it doesn't even bother me. And so what happens is in your mind, you build these barriers of adversity about situations that you want to quit on. And simply when you put yourself in uncomfortable situations, you begin to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And the fear of regret, the fear of failure, all of that diminishes and you strengthen your ability to be self-disciplined. I hope because you chose to become comfortable being uncomfortable. All right. So we got about 10 more minutes left uh, in our hour tonight, guys. So I'm going to go through really quickly uh, a few ways to help improve self-discipline, a few ways to help improve self-discipline. All right. All right. A few ways to improve self-discipline. All right. We'll go through these pretty quickly so we could get through in an hour tonight and we can get back. You can get back to doing uh, whatever it is you're doing on your spring break. All right. So number one, you guys know this was the first message. I won't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, create a system or routines or schedule, whatever you want to call it. How does your mornings look? How does your workday look? How's your desk organized? How do you keep track of emails? How do you even know what you're supposed to get done today? What's your bedtime routine? Are you dumping your day? Or are you just thinking about everything throughout the night? Therefore, you're not getting good sleep. And because you didn't get good sleep, you woke up grouchy in the morning. Because you grouchy in the morning, you didn't want to do stuff. You didn't want to do stuff, so now you're at work regretting the fact that you at work. But you know you need a paycheck. And so everything's messed up. But if you create a system, systems are the best way to uh, create a lifestyle of self-discipline. My system, 
if April uh, normally, my system, I get up between 4.30, 4.35. I try to be at the gym by 5. I try to be, I work out, and at the gym, I got a system. I get on the treadmill, I warm up. I go lift. I do some, uh, I get back on the treadmill. I do some stretching. By 6, 6.10, I'm on my way back home. And I get home, I take a shower real quick. All right, and then I get out the shower. I uh, I wake my kids up. It's probably about 6.40 at this point. Uh, if April hasn't already, uh, I woke them up. I start cooking breakfast because I made them the night before get their clothes out. They're five, seven, and nine, baby. Get yourself dressed, right? Brush your own teeth. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving them orders while I cook them breakfast. And so, and I'm yelling, hey, come get your breakfast. At this time, it's probably about 17, all right? Uh, they're eating breakfast. Google turns off the lights at 715. That's my reminder to me and the kids that, hey, come on, because, hey, we're trying to get out the house. By 730, 7.35, maybe, on a good day, uh, depending. We, we're able to eat breakfast. We're getting hair combed, right? By 7.45 to 8, we're out the door. And the school is only two minutes from my house. But that's my routine. And I tell you, when I, a routine's off, it creates a little anxiety for me. Uh, and so I have to just take my deep breath and control my thinking feeling cycle. But that system is what I've put into place because it helps my day, work day go better. And as my work day go better, I got less to dump at the end of the day in my bedtime routine. And I got scheduled on what I do on Mondays. I try not to plan meetings. Why? Because I want to get on strategies for success. Now on Tuesdays, I try not to plan meetings during my lunch or anything. Why? Because I want to get on Ed Talk. You got to schedule your day. You got to make sure that you're feeding yourself and you're taking breaks for you. All right. Number two. All right. Create a plan to achieve your goal. I'm not going to go over this because Pastor Edwin did an excellent job. And a lot of our teaching right uh, at this moment kind of spirals. But go back. He talked about um how to, imp how, to, how to live a disciplined life. He talked about some steps of developing SMART goals. He talked about breaking those SMART goals down into small parts that could be achieved uh, each day. The one thing I want to do uh, that I think he touched on as well, but I want to make sure you do, is monitor your progress and create mile markers. Have you ever been driving down the highway and you see the mile markers? They are indication of where you are and where you've been. All right. Where you're going and where you've been. And so a lot of times in life, as we walk out our goals, we're not setting those mile markers. And so you got to make sure that you're setting those mile markers so that you can so that the enemy talks to you about how it ain't working. You're like, mm -mm, I got a mile marker, baby. I lost two pounds. Mm -mm, baby, I got a mile marker. I got fifty dollars in the bank account. I, only, I started with zero. Mm -mm, I got a mile marker. Me and my husband have uh, gotten a loan. For one week after month, we ain't done that in years. You got mile markers. And so you got to be understand that these mile markers are extremely important. Why? Because it gives us the ability to track our progress. So if the enemy talks to us about stuff, we can be like, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, that ain't true because I got this, this, and this, and this. And that's what it talks about in Philippians 1 and 6. It says, being confident of this. That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So I got this mile marker. Man, 
two, I lost two pounds. Lord is doing a good work in me. He's going to see it through. I saved a hundred dollars. The Lord is doing a good work in me. He's going to see it through. Man, me and my wife get together. The Lord is doing a good work in us. He's going to see it through. And so, hey, first the blade, right? First the blade. Then the, I mean, then, then it just keeps growing until you have the full ear of corn. I will not stagger at his promises. I will set mile markers, markers of remembrance to, to show that God has been good to me. Y'all remember, uh, I'm not sure it was doing COVID. We had a whole message. We remember, right? Lord, I remember that time I was driving and it was a car in my lane and I was going 70 and, and, and you spared my life. Lord, I remember that time I couldn't pay my rent, but you came through. Lord, I remember that time the doctor gave me the diagnosis, but you healed me. Lord, I remember that time I prayed for that person in the hospital and the doctors had given up on them. And, and, and Pastor Chris went in there and sung a song and we laid hands and she lives today. Lord, I remember. And you, that same God, that healed them then, you will heal me now. The same God that paid the rent then is paying rent now. The same God that delivered is still a deliverer today. He's that same God. And see, that's what the mile markers do for your life. So you got to set those mile markers. All right, let's keep going. All right, gain control over your impulses. How do I live this one life? I got to gain control over my impulses. Research states that when we feel tired or fatigued, we usually have only done about 40% of the work we're capable of doing. Yeah, you did hear that right. When that monkey jump on your back, when you get exhausted, when you get tired, research states that when you get to that point, you have only done 40% or zero of the work you're capable of doing. So say this, say I push past I'll push past until I get my second win. Hallelujah. You know where that second win comes from? You already know the supernatural on top of your natural, baby. It is the Holy Spirit, a wind behind you, pushing you through to the finish line. Philippians said it is he that is working in me, right, to do of his will and his good pleasure. The Amplified Virgin says it gives me the energy and the want to to do what the Lord has said. So you got to understand that I got to push through. I got to keep going. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is going to be his super on top of my natural. He's going to give me the ability to do what I couldn't do on my own. But I can't cave in and quit because I feel tired. I can't cave in and quit because I want to gratify my flesh. I can't cave in and quit because I just don't feel like it. I can't get comfortable in a sense that I'm just going to stay here. I got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. I got to get comfortable pushing through the pain. I got to get comfortable pushing through my through, through things that I haven't experienced before. I will not let fear keep me stifled. I will not let fear be a fence that keeps me small. I declare I break through that fence and I go and I seek out the premises that God has for me. That's what I do. I can't gain control over my impulses. Number four, I become comfortable being uncomfortable. We only got to spend time there. We've been talking about that all night. If I want to live a disciplined life, I got to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Number five, I got to practice mindfulness and meditation. I got to remind myself what the word has said about my life. I got to remain in the present by living a life of gratitude and praising God. God, I thank you 
for the things that you've done for me. Why? Because as you are thinking of being grateful, it reminds you of how big God is. Think about it. Just start naming things. Name three things right now you thank God for. God, I thank you that I'm living. I made it through the pandemic. Hallelujah. Thank you that my family made it through the pandemic. I thank you that me and my wife got good jobs because thousands of people are being laid off. I thank you that I have way more money than I have month. And I think about that and it just makes me want to praise the Lord. Why? Because that's his doing. And so I got to practice mindfulness. I got to open my mouth. I got to make affirmations and confessions about what God has said about me. I can't let negativity live rent free in my head. I got to evict it with the word of God. Y'all know the thought press, thought process. You receive a thought. You analyze that thought according to the word of God. You either accept or reject that thought based off what the word says. Then you replace it with what the word says. If it's a bad thought or you replay it, if it's a godly thought and you know, you do that over and over and over and over again. Right. And part of also practicing mindfulness is that you got to eliminate and avoid distractions. Hebrews 11 and one said 12 and one says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and everything and every sin that so easily entangles us. Sum it up in four things. Tame your thoughts, tame your temperament, tame your tongue, tame your team. All right, let's move on to number six. Number six, fully commit to your goals. Stop trying and do. Trying indicates to your mind that it's undecided. Trying is one foot in, one foot out. Trying is making an attempt, but undecided on the outcome. Come on, y'all. Trying is making an attempt, but undecided on the outcome. Do, when you do something, see, see, I've tried to lose weight. It's, I look at my life, I can see some, some areas where I try, and then I can see some areas what I do, all right? This is what the word do means. Do is an indication to your mind it has decided. We are not just making an attempt but we are going all the way. See, that's the difference to your mind. When you say I'm trying to be saved, it's saying I'm making an attempt at being saved. I'm undecided if I'm going to be saved, but I'm trying to. I'm making an attempt at it. But when I say I, I am saved, that is a decision. It has cut away options. It says I'm going all the way in. I'm not making an attempt. I've gone all the way because when you say you've done something, it creates imagery of a completed work of your in your life. It creates an image in your mind. This image is what sustains and fuels you to continue exhibiting self-discipline in the face of adversity. Think about it. When Jesus, the Bible says in Philippians 2, 7, when the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. See, Jesus didn't come to try. Jesus came to do. He, he was able to stay human because he saw you. He saw you. He saw me. And he said, 
Oh, this pain is great. The thorns are going to press on my head. The, the hyssop, the, 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 the piercing of my side, God. Is there any way in the garden? He says, is there any way, Father? Why? Because he, 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 he saw the end, but he was fully committed. He wasn't trying to be the Savior. He says, I am the Savior. He saw our lives improved. He saw many sons. And so once he became human, he stayed human. What image do you have in your head about your life? Because that's what you're running after. You ain't running after wealth because you don't see yourself wealthy. You ain't running running after a good marriage because you don't see yourself having a good marriage. You ain't running after health in your body because you don't see yourself healthy. You're trying because you have no image. And without an image, without a vision, the Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge, a lack of vision, a lack of imagery. The word of God gives you an image that you can run after. Abraham was named the father of many nations. He ran after it. He did the work. He was intimate with his wife. He kept doing it until Isaac showed up. Will you keep doing it till your Isaac show up? Until your promise arrives on earth. I think it's Gloria Copeland says, if you're willing to stand forever, you won't have to stand for long. Let's wrap up for tonight. Number seven, guys, create positive associations. As I stated before, do things you enjoy when you complete a task. Build this incentive for completion. All right. An incentive for completion. Create routines. And at the end of the routine of completing something you check off your list, give yourself an incentive. Give yourself that same reward because when you was quitting, you were gratifying your flesh. So now when I complete the task I need to move me towards the goal that God wants me to accomplish, I gratify my flesh. I give myself something I like. Oh, okay, Ralph, you get five minutes of TikTok. Or, hey, Ralph, you get to go uh, purchase that, that those shoes you wanted after you lose the 50 pounds. You give yourself, why? Because the brain is always seeking pleasure. And so if I pleasure it only at the end of accomplishing something God desired for me to do, then, and I pleasure it, oh, Lord, let me say this. You pleasure it with godly things. Let me say that. You pleasure it with godly things, all right? With godly things. For all y'all thought that you can go out there and like, woo, yeah, I can save this $100. I could go do X, Y, and Z. No, pleasure with godly things, all right? And because I love the saying that Pastor Dunham says as we wrap up, if you keep doing the hard things, they'll become easy. I remember I could run uh, seven, I think as long as I've got seven or eight miles straight. I could do that because I kept doing it and I kept doing it and it got easy. And man, running three miles was hard and then it got easy. Running four miles was hard, then it got easy because I kept doing it. Keep doing the hard things, they become easy. I tried to go run a half half mile the other day. Whoo, I was, I was breathing heavy. Now I walk, I can walk you down. I can walk for hours. But I tried to run, man, I was like, whoo, Lord. Why? Because I stopped doing the hard thing. And it was hard. But as long as you keep doing the hard thing, it becomes easy. It, become, it becomes repetition. It rewires your brain. It rewires how you see that task being done. And before you realize it, you'll see running five miles as a walk in the park. Why? 
because your brain has been rewired. It no longer sees the hard thing as hard. It sees it as easy. And so as we live out disciplined lives, we got to understand that it's easy to live for God. Why? Because we, because we rely on the Holy Spirit who gives us the power, the knowledge, and the ability to do what pleases God. So go ahead and type this as we end tonight. I live a disciplined life. I have overcome myself. I live a disciplined life because I have overcome myself. All right. So you guys know uh, at FLC, we're 100% toddlers. So I encourage you tonight. All right. As before you get off the as soon as you get off the broadcast, if you are living in the United States, Go ahead and give your tithing your offering. You can do that via Givelify, PushPay, Tidely, or Text to Give. If you're one of our international partners, our in our international partners only, please utilize PayPal at focchurchnwa at gmail.com. And we want to thank you for your generosity uh, as partners and friends, because you guys, man, we able, we're able to do so much because of the gift that you have given us. And I am so grateful for you. Uh, Pastor Evan and Pastor Shannon are so grateful for you. FOC and the partners and people literally around the world are blessed because of the seed that you sow into this ministry. We are good ground and we encourage you to sow your seed, but not only sow your seed, but expect a harvest off the seed that you've sown. All right. So we thank you for that, your generosity and your giving. And so I'm going to run through the announcements real quick. You know, it's Wednesday. Our next time together will be Friday. So I encourage you to come back with us Friday at 6.30 a.m. for Champion Circle. And then next Sunday, all right, join Pastor Chris and Elder Valley for Christian Valley Worship, followed up by Pastor Edward and Pastor Sean for Sunday Celebration. Then on Monday, we have Strategies for Success with Pastor Sean at 12 noon on her personal and private uh, Facebook page as well as YouTube. And then on Tuesday at 12 noon, it's followed up by other awesome power duo of our pastors, Pastor Edwin uh, for Ed Talk uh, at 12 noon on Tuesday on his on Facebook and on the church's page. And then, you know, every first Tuesday of the month, which will be April 4th, we have Relationships One-on-One. And you can go like and love Edwin and Sean Strickland on Facebook to get all the information about that. All right. And then on Wednesday night, you know, we have prayer at 7 p.m., followed up by Ignite at 7.15 and Victory Zone is on demand. And then we'll be right back here uh, for a fresh Bible study. All right. If you have any information on anything that I've stated, you can simply visit focchurch.com for more information. All right. I love you guys so much. Please enjoy the rest of your spring break. If you're traveling, be safe, make good decisions, and understand everywhere we go, everywhere we go, we represent the kingdom. So represent God in a good way. And, you know, live like something. All right? Live like something. Be blessed. I love you so much. Have a good night. Bye-bye.